Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives deeply into the weeds of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined as usual by members of our wonderful panel, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Hi. And Cicero Holmes. The enemy is here. <laughs> oh, truer words were never spoken. Uh, oh, boy. Well, this week we're coming off of what is arguably the show's most consequential episode thus far. Some big revelations were had, some stomachs were turned, some horror was shown, and some hearts were undoubtedly broken. So we certainly have a whole hell of a lot to get to in terms of discussing the most recent episode of Star Trek Discovery. Of course, though, first things first, what's everyone been up to this past week? How have you guys been engaging with Star Trek since we last recorded, besides, of course, taking in the new episode of Discovery? Zachy, why don't you start us off? I am winding down my trip through The Next Generation. I just watched Preemptive Strike, which is the next to last episode of the series. So all good things is just around the corner. Weird. I've been through this whole journey with my kids. It's very exciting. That's that's awesome. Now, uh, how does the how does the star date line up for generations? Are you going to do the movies in in uh, sequence as well? You know, I'm debating. I mean, we we've already watched all of the next generation movies, so uh, it's not it wouldn't be a new experience. But I don't see why not. I mean, I can always I can always pop on a Star Trek movie. You know, I'm, I can never yeah. complain about that. Except for Nemesis, mm-hmm. that might be a that's, that's, that's going to be a bitter that's going to be a bitter pill. <laughs> well, you know, I I would actually be kind of curious though if if you go into Nemesis now that your kids will have seen the entire journey of that crew, if it might paint their perceptions of it a little bit more now that they've become so invested in who these people are, or if it would just be a crushing disappointment. That's a good point. You know, that that's the one uh, TNG movie they haven't seen yet. So, Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So we may, we may yet get there. Yeah. Maybe after, after Endgame, if uh, yeah, it's probably exactly, pretty, right. pretty far into the future though. Right. Yeah, and I don't need to deal think about that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Rachel. What have you been up to in the world of Trek? Uh, I started watching some season one TNG. Yes, you did. While I was doing a puzzle. <laughs> and uh, I have not watched that in a long time. It is Camp Gold, <laughs> I think. I watched, um, I watched The Naked Now. Yeah. And the one after that with the like kind of crazy stereotyped African people. Yeah. <laughs> Planet uh, of the black people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's embarrassing. Notably, she did skip encounter at far point though, which I thought was pretty interesting. I mean, like, that's too much even for me. <laughs> I mean, maybe it gets unfairly ragged on, but it is kind of tough to watch when you know how great that show gets. Right. You yeah. know, like I think that's the key to it. Everybody here loves Star Trek: The Next Generation, but it definitely doesn't start off with its best foot forward. Except, I still love the McCoy cameo. You know, it definitely, right. definitely yeah. gets to me. But uh, yeah, season one of TNG definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting trip down memory lane. That's yeah, for right. sure. You, you still had skirts for yeah, yeah they, they, and and they hey, you know what? Credit to to the people who were putting the show together at that time. Men wore the scant uniforms too. Right. You know, it was just all about hey, your legs move. That's for sure. I mean, if you got if those dudes had the stems, why not? Right? It's only the script. 
that were sexist. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Cicero, how about you, my friend? Uh, so, you know, I have started, uh, I've decided to fill in my Star Trek gap by starting a full watch of Star Trek Voyager. Oh, okay. Yeah. So did you you take in caretaker so far? I have yes, yeah, so I've gotten I've gotten take uh I've gotten up to phage. So I've okay. I've finished uh both the the first and second caretaker episodes and uh then uh parallax time and again and phage. So uh next up is is the cloud. Now before how much of Voyager had you seen? So I, you know, I jumped in and out of it like a double Dutch. Um, so I, I probably had seen, you know, maybe a half a dozen episodes. I had known, I knew enough of the crew. So I mm -hmm. like, I knew the crew was there, but I didn't necessarily know everyone's origin stories or, um, you know, like I knew that part of the, part of the crew were the Maquis, but, but. It was, they were like, there were big, big gaps in, in my knowledge of, of the Voyager crew, but I knew who the crew was. Uh, so we mm -hmm. still haven't gotten, uh, I think Seven of Nine is the second season or late. Uh, she's not until, I think, at the end of Four. season three. Oh, yeah, wow. Because season three ends, uh, Scorpion, I think, is at the end of season three, and then she starts as a main cast member in earnest in season four, right. I believe. Okay. So, uh, Okay, well, I mean that's that's cool though. So now that you're sort of seeing it with new eyes, what are your first impressions? Um, you know, my first impressions are uh, it, it's it's definitely a different show. Um, uh, Janeway just got a chip on her shoulder. That's for damn sure. Um, she definitely mm -hmm. cares about the crew. But she, you you know, I mean, the funny thing about Janeway is she's just kind of like a Pied Piper of sorts is like, Oh, you know, she's like the Oprah of, uh, Federation crew jump joining and you get to be part of the crew and you get to, everyone gets to be a part of the crew. Hey, desperate times. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, guess so. she, I guess so. She, you know, she, her, her journey of development over the course of the seven seasons, I think is one of the best parts of that show because she really does. I mean, not that she starts off poorly by any means, but you can definitely see that she goes from just like a stand-up captain to definitely owning every aspect of that show sure. because of the unique circumstances that she and the crew find themselves in. So I'll be interested to hear how your perspectives evolve okay. as you continue, continue watching. All right. As for me, I mean, it's mostly been so Rachel and I watched, uh, you know, a couple of season one TNG episodes, which is always fun. I uh, rewatched a couple of episodes of the original series, uh, in particularly the, the, the Mark of Gideon was the one that left an impression on me from season three. Uh uh, it's it's not like it's one of the best episodes of TOS, but I really like the way that it puts the focus on the rest of the crew by taking Kirk out of the equation and sort of sequestering him. I'm mm. sure Shatner ate that stuff up personally, but uh, you know it's nice to see how well that unit operates because to me, I mean, the reason that TOS is my favorite of all the shows is because of the characters and because they are so intrinsically well-defined, even though... You know, Walter Koenig says at conventions, all we basically did was move around furniture for the for the lead players. But still, I mean, everyone feels like they have a part to me uh, 
in in TOS, and that's one of the reasons I love that show so much. But beyond that, it's mostly been just kind of aching to see what this most recent episode of Discovery did, and I was not disappointed, but maybe some of us were, which we will get to in a moment. But uh, we do have at least one news item to get to before we begin our episode discussion in earnest, so why don't we do that first? So as you may or may not be aware, it's now time once again for the Sundance Film Festival, and some Star Trek franchise alums find themselves around the fabled venue to talk about some of their projects. One such guy is John Cho, the incumbent performer to portray Lieutenant Hikaru Sulu in the Kelvin Timeline Star Trek films, initiated by none other than Mr. J.J. Abrams. Cho was asked by the hosts of the web show IMDb Studio about the current status of the relaunched Star Trek film series, with the Quentin Tarantino rumors invariably being brought up. So before qualifying things by saying that he hopes for his continued involvement in the allegedly developing project, the show's host asked him what he would like to see from the upcoming film. When one of the hosts brought up a hope of combining the old cast with the new cast, Joe enthusiastically agreed with the sentiment, but it doesn't seem like he had a lot of inside information to share. So this project, as we understand it right now, is still mostly clouded in mystery. I personally have kind of a hard time believing that the host was talking about a reunion strictly with the, with the surviving members of the original cast, because obviously the biggest hurdle to that is that there aren't many of them left. And certainly William Shatner, Walter Koenig, and George Takei would probably be up for some kind of appearance like that. But I also know that Nichelle Nichols has eased back on a lot of convention appearances, which makes me wonder if she'd be up to play Uhura again. But what do you guys think? Could we see some sort of cast fusion a la X-Men Days of Future Past? Or do you think Tarantino will go into some other direction inspired by the likes of City on the Edge of Forever or Yesterday's Enterprise. Rachel, why don't you start us off? Well, I know he wants to do like a time travel thing, so anything's possible, right? But I would think that if he was going to include previous cast members, it would be from Next Generation because they're all still alive, Mm -hmm. right? Correct on that? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's, that's what I would think. But I, you know... Again, like I've been saying, I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to this Tarantino project. Yeah, sure. Cicero, how about you? Uh, I don't see the reason to want to do that. Like, you know, outside of just paying, paying, paying fan service uh, or, you know, paying service to fans in, in that way. But I just think it, I think it would be a mistake to do it. Uh, So I personally wouldn't want to see it. And, you know, and of course, uh, if, if John Cho was asked if he'd like to see the crews uh, unite, of course, the answer is going to be yes. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. I just don't know if there could be a real, a really good narrative reason to do it. So you would be happy with just the, uh, the continued adventures of the revived Kirk and company. Sure. And, and the, I think, I think like Rachel said, hashtag Rachel was right is uh, that uh that you know, I'd prefer to see something with the the TNG cast, or you know, something set in the future with cast members that are still alive and able to, you know, and able-bodied uh, for the most part. So you know, they don't have to necessarily have their doppelgangers out there, but can right. can also exist within 
the Star Trek universe with characters that we know from, you know, from the Star Trek universe, uh, you know, somewhere in the in the 24th century or or, uh, or beyond. Sure. Understandable. Zachy, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think the window's closed. I mean, uh, would it be cool to see two versions of the uh, original Enterprise crew interact? Sure. Uh, but we don't have a time machine. And uh, I don't think any of us wants to see 80 plus year old William Shatner running around and, you know, in, in his space suit. I mean, I think, unfortunately, there's there's a shelf life for these things. And uh, uh, Captain Kirk is dead, the original Captain Kirk. And uh, we have an mm-hmm. opportunity to. Uh, see these characters live again in these new incarnations, but uh, I think the window, the door closed, if you will, when um, Spock Prime died. I think that's sort of a very gentle shutting of the door and saying, okay, uh, we're following these characters yeah. now, or these versions of these characters now. Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine the idea of bringing back any TOS characters if Nimoy couldn't be there. That's right. uh, I mean, it would it would almost be nigh unpalatable for me, uh, especially considering. And obviously, you know, there's there's not a lot of people who would see something like this compared with a movie. But there was a really good uh, story that closed out the last Star Trek ongoing comic book series that sort of brought the original crew and the the, the yeah. 2009 crew together. And, uh, and that was a wonderful story. And it was kind of told, and there was also a, a story that was a tribute to Leonard Nimoy called The Legacy of Spock that was also really good. And that kind of scratched that itch for me personally. Yeah. Uh, whether or not a movie would be able to, to get anywhere near there, it depends. I mean, yeah, maybe Next Generation crew, maybe the Deep Space Nine crew, maybe the Voyager crew, maybe Discovery's crew, maybe the Enterprise crew. I mean, who knows what's in Quentin Tarantino's head? <laughs> but I think the time is – like you said before, Zachy, I don't need to buy into the fact that these actors are these characters. Right. They've taken proper ownership of them, and I'm fine with seeing them run with the series. Uh, but that being said, I am still itching for some kind of Star Trek six esque goodbye to the TNG crew. But, you know – We'll see what happens. We will We will have to sit back just like everybody else and see what actually takes place here. Uh, but right now, I have to do a mea culpa because uh, I'm pretty sure that – so I'm going to take my headphones off now because I, I'm pretty sure that I spoiled the, uh, the revelation in this episode for Zachy. So – Rachel, you know, she's a brilliant scientist and she built a, a direct replica of an agony booth uh, just for purposes like these. You know, marriages run on trust and marriages run on the ability for the wife to punish the husband. And this is an <laughs> instance. Yeah, horribly. And so, so you this deserve is, it. Chris, I do so deserve it. So let me get up out of the chair. All right, open the door. Okay. All right, okay. So I'm taking my, my Zachy, I'm sorry. I deserve this. Okay, Rachel. All right. Okay. Sorry, Chris. I, I this is for your own good. Okay, I think that's enough. <sighs> you can come out. Okay. <sighs> so, uh, Chris, funny story. I think I'm leaking. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, Go you, ahead. You, you actually didn't spoil it for me. Really? 
but thank you for doing that. That's uh, that's that's friendship right there. <coughs> no. Walk yeah. it off, Chris. Come on. Never. Come on, we yeah, got a show to do, man. All right. Yeah. Never let it be said. I'm not ready to take one for the team. Okay. All right. Well, so let's move along with our discussion of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 12, Vaulting Ambition. So Michael and Lorca arrive at the ISS Sharon, the Imperial flagship, and meet Emperor Philippa Giorgio. Uh, there was a lot of long title. That she, she had a, a big name. I, I, I didn't take down notes, and I don't remember what it was, but it was awesome either way. But Michael is asked by the Emperor to choose one of three Kelpians for an unspecified reason, and she chooses one, and her choice is taken away by the Imperial Guards. Lorca is presented to the Emperor, and he refuses to bow to her, of course, in pure Lorca fashion. So he's imprisoned in an agony booth to suffer for life for his crimes, while Giorgio has dinner with Michael. Michael compliments the food, and the Emperor reveals that the Kelpian she had Michael choose is their meal. Oh boy. Giorgio confronts Michael, though, revealing that she's aware that she was betrayed by the Mirror Universe version of Michael and subsequently orders her execution, bringing kind of an end to what was kind of a nice dinner. So holy crap, guys. I don't know about you, but this was a hell of a way to start off this episode. So give me an idea of what your first impressions are of Emperor Giorgio, now that we actually get to see her, now that we get to take her in, and now that we get to see Michelle Yeoh come back in, in the full Imperial glory of this performance. Zachy, why don't you start us off? You know, I, I this is going to sound weird, but I, I thought she was just too normal. Like, I mean, she's, she's different from our Georgiou, but she's not mirrory enough. Like I want it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I guess I was expecting something more like intendant Kira or something. Uh, not so much like the overt sexuality that, that Amira Kira had, but like, more vicious like we don't we see bits and pieces of that from her but it just it, it i found that a little like i'm not gonna say off-putting but it was uh it, it took some adjustment sure i can i can see that yeah i mean she definitely had kind of this quiet resolve yes. that yeah. you might not necessarily expect from someone who has that title right yeah uh yeah cicero how about you what did you think of emperor Giorgio? Well, uh, first off, I think Michelle Yeoh really enjoyed herself <laughs> in in this role. Um, secondly, what I would say is where uh, Zaki saw saw someone that wasn't necessarily evil enough. I would say that she was matronly evil. Hmm. Oh, um, that, <laughs> that the mother-in-law evil. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. right. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, where, where you know, as we as the conversations between uh, Burnham and and Georgia continue, you you can. There are times where she talks to Burnham, where Georgia talks to Burnham, and you can see you can see and hear the disdain in her voice. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's matronly disdain. 
it's mm. it's the it's the type of admonishing that you it's admonishment that you would get from your mother when she is mm. supremely disappointed in you but ultimately you know that that disappointment comes from the intense amount of love that she has for you um mm. so i think that is is part of what we saw in the portrayal um specifically when it came to uh michael burnham um and and that she wanted to have before uh before Georgia killed her because she knew that that's what she was she was going to execute her um before she did that the one thing that she wanted to do was share one more meal with her daughter um because mm. you could see that that the that same level of compassion wasn't there for for captain Lorca. Um, I mean, she beat the hell out of him with with that cudgel, and right. then put him in an agonizer. And uh, you know, she she fed she fed uh, she fed Burnham the kelpian of her choice, gave gave the precious threat ganglia to her daughter, and then uh, sentenced her to death, and was going to make it swift and painless. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot of uncharacteristic. Uh, mercy, but a lot of reverence too, that I guess can be interpreted in a sort of twisted way as love in the mirror universe, right? That's, yeah, uh, I think my th mom grew up in the mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Deep dark look into Cicero's psyche. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Right. <laughs> Rachel, Emperor Giorgio, what did you think? I thought she seemed pretty evil. I, she seemed like the kind of of dark person who can be quiet and seem kind of nice, but you know, at any moment could just, you know, turn and get you. <laughs> um, and we saw that when a little bit later, when she just, you know, kills everybody in the yeah. room at once with no warning. And that's kind of what I, what I got from her is she's a very measured controlled level of evil mm -hmm. she's not you know outrageous or anything like that yeah when you put it like that it kind of reminds me of uh and i'm sure that you guys have seen some of the making of documentaries and interviews with uh, the, the personnel behind star trek 2 but um in the botany bay when khan is first revealed and uh you know he's delivering these lines to to Chekhov and to captain terrell Apparently, in those early takes, M Ricardo Montalban was screaming with this righteous indignation, and Nicholas Meyer said, "You're in control, you know. Just, uh, just let it let it out slowly, you know. Have have a, a degree of patience to it." And when you watch that scene in Star Trek II, you never have any other indication but that Khan is in total control of the situation. You, know, you are in a position to demand nothing, sir. And that's kind of the same genre, I guess, of quiet reserve covering the capability uh, that I got from Emperor Giorgio. But I can see, you know, considering how much we've gotten used to a certain conception of what evil looks like in the mirror universe. I can absolutely see Zaki's perspective too. It, it, it was different. It was, yeah. it was definitely very different. 
Well, what did you guys, did, did anybody else's stomach churn a bit over the revelation over what they were eating? Because to me, that was one of the more legitimately shocking moments of the entire show thus far. I don't know why it was necessarily so, like my jaw dropped when she said, here, have my ganglia. You know, I, I, for some reason, I just thought that was disgusting. Just the idea behind it and the cruelty behind it. But Zachy, what did you think of that moment? Did, did that strike you in any particular way or am I overreacting? No, I thought it was gross. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, 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 I, I thought it was unnecessary, to be honest. It just, it's kind of disgusting for the shock for the sake of, sake of shock, you know? Did you feel the same way over the revelation about uh, Valk and Laurel having eaten Giorgio way back when? It, 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 yeah, it, it's the same. I, I just, it felt, I mean, maybe I'm just being prudish. I don't know, but it just, it feels like excessively, like shocking just for the sake of being shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I can, I can, I can understand that. Rachel? Well, Kelpians are a prey species in case you didn't catch the like 50 times. <laughs> right. That. right. So, you know, they might be delicious, Chris. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, Oh no! I'd, I'd prefer not to think about it. Honestly, it's just who boy Cicero. How about you? Yeah, I um, it's it's a thing where you like, it feels like cannibalism, right? Where right. where uh, it's it's you know, sure it's an alien species, but it's a sentient alien species. So it's not like their food. They clearly are on on Kelpia or kelp. Or whatever the name of the planet is, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, in in as far as we know, they're not. And uh, the worst part for me was like as I saw the four Kelpians there in the original uh, initial watch through, I was looking to see if any of them looked like Saru, and the one that she picked to me looked like Saru. So, yeah, same here. So I went back to watch it again, and for some reason in my playback uh, version, that scene was gone. So I don't – yeah, it's it's totally weird. I don't know what happened there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I can't confirm whether or not that was Saru or just that, you know, it was just a good makeup job. So, I mean, so it makes it gross on the fact that they're eating another sentient being. Um, mm. But also, if Burnham specifically picked the friendly face out of out of the Kelpian she saw, she's now eating her friend and colleague. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, hmm. absolutely. Uh, I mean, maybe it is for for shock value in that respect. But either way, I mean, I'm sure that the effect that I felt was intended. So I'm not going to question it too much, but it definitely did stick out when watching this episode. Well, let's move along with the plot. Uh, so we find the, uh, Stamets working together with his mirror counterpart, who's trapped inside the mycelial network. We discover that the network is ravaged by a disease, while Prime Stamets find what seems to be a spore remnant of Dr. Hugh Colber, who warns Prime Stamets not to trust his duplicitous counterpart. After reconciling with losing him, uh, Dr. Colbert, that is, both versions of Stamets wake up in their own bodies. Uh, so what what do you guys think of Spore Culber or the the vision of, of Culber that was found inside the network? Did his soul 
get caught in there somehow? Is it uh, is the Spore Network serving the same purpose as the Force in Star Wars? Uh, is he a reflection from Stamets mind? Is he just a plot device? What do you guys think of this? Rachel? Uh, I think he is from Stamets's mind actually, okay. because Stamets knew that he was dead mm-hmm. uh, on some level. Cause he was like hugging him. So I think that he was, he had, he come from Stamets's kind of subconscious and that's how he was seeing him there. Mm-hmm interesting to help him deal with the grief right yeah sure zachy what do you think yeah i think it's whatever you need it to be <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> i think i think if you don't i think rachel's uh, analysis makes the most sense because otherwise it's just a lot of hugger mugger that's you know it, it's like uh oh it's magic you know you just kind of Right. Yeah. Go with it. And I mean, this is not Star Wars. This is not a mystical universe. So we have to find some semi logic based reason for for Stamets having this conversation. So if you say he's an aspect of himself that's dealing with what he experienced, that makes more sense than, oh, it's, you know, Obi Wan Hugh (laughs) floating (laughs) through the, 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 you know, the mycelial network. Yeah. Hugh B1. Yeah. Be, oh, there you, there you go. Be that's, that's better. <laughs> Cicero. Yeah, the um, I, I, you gave a lot of rationales for it. Um, yes is my answer to that. Um, I, you know, so the the closest thing that we have uh, to magic in 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 uh, in discovery has been this mycelial network, and um, there was a time. Well, and 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 I think. Rachel's uh, analysis is probably correct because a lot of the things that uh, Colbert had to say to to Stamets were things that Stamets had already said. So, so right. you know, these were things that were already part of his, or you know, part of his consciousness. Um, so, uh, but one of the things that Colbert said to Stamets was that in the mycelial network, all life exists nothing can ever die um you know so there so there is potentially still i'm still kind of holding out hope um that somehow they're able to bring back colber's consciousness to his body in some in some mm-hmm. way shape or form who knows um yeah. The one thing that I will say, you know, we we talked about both of those guys waking up and and uh, Prime Stamets woke up on the Discovery. Um, Mira Stamets woke up on the Sharon, the ISS Sharon, aka right. the Emperor's ship. So he yes. is not. Oh, a couple of things that we found out basically is that the 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 true ISS Discovery. Maybe doesn't have a spore drive um, mm-hmm. because the the uh, the uh, Stamets you know Mira Stamets wasn't working on the discovery as we as we learn afterwards and that he was mm-hmm. manipulating a bunch of other things so there was no spore drive and uh, that's there, a lot of tidbits came out of that collect those collection of scenes definitely. I was pretty unsatisfied with the appearance of Spore Culber. I mean, certainly not because I don't want to see Culber. I love Dr. Culber as a character, as I think I've made pretty clear. But it was a little fast and loose with 
the reasoning. And I understand that, yes, this is probably something that's going to be worked up to in the, the remaining episodes of the season. And I'm sure all will be revealed by the time we get to the season finale. But uh, I'd have preferred to know a little bit more about what I was seeing in, in place of this kind of ethereal and quasi-mystical appearance of a, a dead character. It was a little strange. And the reason that I brought up the Force comparison was you know, because the mycelial network in, in, in the show so far has been described as basically a, a web network of life. And, uh, you know... If you, it doesn't take a lot of extrapolation to, you know, see the the life between things. You know, it surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the universe together, <laughs> that sort of thing. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm willing to roll with it. I like Doctor Colbert. I would also like to see him come back, but it was just a little strange to me. I guess this kind of stuck out like a sore thumb when watching this episode. But um, we didn't get a significant look at what sets Stamets' counterpart apart from the Prime version, but it's also possible I missed something. Did you guys pick up anything about Mirror Stamets that has stuck with you? Zeki? I think they're being deliberately vague. And, you know, the thought that I had throughout their interactions was like, dude, this is, he's in the mirror universe. That means that we shouldn't take at face value that he's, he, he's a, a benign uh, presence in all this. Right. So it, I think right. they deliberately, I mean, I think in, in uh, the next chapter, we'll see kind of, we'll see evil Stamets. We got groovy Stamets. We're going to get evil Stamets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Cicero, how about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, what we're getting a lot is exposition in, you know, from, from all sorts of weird people. Um, you know, we, uh, I think correctly predicted that there'd be, we'd have exposition Giorgio. Um, and we got, we got a lot of that, uh, this week, but we also got exposition Colber who spent, uh, spent some of his time, uh, as we're trying to figure out why he's there, uh, talking about, uh, Mira Stamets and the things that Mira Stamets s- seems to do. Uh, with the mycelial network in in the mirror universe, so mm-hmm. um, clearly he's duplicitous. Clearly, uh, when you when you meet up with him, you you realize that you know there's just something up with him. When they when they get into that lab, when they get into the lab on the and the fake discovery, and you know in Stamets's brain, uh, he, you could see him sit and linger, and you know the only thing he wasn't doing was twirling his mustache when that happened. So, um, yeah. So I mean, it, it, there's definitely more to that guy, and uh, again, the fact that he is on the Emperor's ship and not on the Mira Discovery means that we'll see more of Mira Stamets. Uh, coming up in the in the next couple of episodes. By the way, the uh, dedication plaque in the engineering analog inside Stamets's mind said USS Stamets, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't even notice <laughs> yeah. that. That's awesome. That was, that was really cool. Rachel, Mirror Stamets, what do you think? Uh, I agree with uh, what else has been said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it remains to be seen exactly how different he is, but I don't trust him. It's- yeah. He's mirror. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it seems like we can all agree on at least one idea that if you're from the mirror universe, you're probably not very trustworthy. 
which just makes me want to see people like Mirror Khan and Mirror Ducat and you know all those guys <laughs> see what's see what's going on there. But uh, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> they actually touched on Mirror Alternate Khan in the IDW ongoing series, which was interesting. But I haven't read that story yet. Uh, I need to do that. So let's move along with the plot. Uh, Saru tries in vain to heal Lieutenant Ash Tyler slash Valk who's consumed by an internal struggle between his Klingon and human personalities. Saru goes to the brid, to the brig and eventually persuades Laurel to save Tyler's body by apparently erasing Vok's mind from him. After she apparently succeeds, Laurel screams to the sky in the customary way to warn the gates of Stovacor that a warrior is about to join them in the afterlife. What do you think of Laurel's motivations here in performing this procedure? Do you think that she has any uh, ulterior motives, any plans that we necessarily aren't aware of at this point, Rachel? Uh, I so I don't know what her motivations were. I I guess maybe she liked Ash Tyler mm-hmm. before he died, but I don't know why she would try and remove Vok or pretend to remove Vok. So I, I'm a bit, I'm a bit confused. Okay. Uh, I think she probably has ulterior motives because she's, she's from a family of spies. That's true. That's true. Cicero, what do you think? I always assume Laurel has ulterior motives. I mean, she has, she has been playing a uh, puppet master, I mean, this entire season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I have no reason to believe that she's going to stop right now. Absolutely. Zachy. Yeah, man, it's just, it's wait and see. We know something's going on. Uh, so it's, you know, the, what, what, what we've seen of her thus far says she's not to be trusted. So we know some, some kind of bad mojo is going to be happening down the pike. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because... She's not necessarily positioned, at least at this point in the overall story, uh, to be an overarching enemy. Uh, we're we're going to get to something very revelatory a little bit later on, but I don't know. It just seems, especially considering the nature of Valk's sleeper agent status, maybe she just took Valk a level deeper like Inception, right? And he, maybe right. he's still in there somewhere. And he's going to pounce out at another point. He's, he's, he's spinning a top somewhere. <laughs> well, uh, so yeah. So why don't we, so, so what do you guys think then? Do you think that Valk is totally off the board or does this whole turn of events have kind of an unresolved pregnancy that's going to maybe rear its head again after they get out of the mirror universe? If they get out of the mirror universe, what do you think, Zachy? You know, I think that, um, I, I, you know, last time we talked, I, I alluded to Angel and Angelus, and mm-hmm. I, that's what I see happening with Tyler. I see him as sort of working to redeem himself and yet having this dark side of himself that he needs to keep under wraps. But I think uh, I, I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a 180 because I, I feel like what we're seeing now is sort of the, the road to redemption for, for Ash Tyler as a, as a, a regular. Mm-hmm. Very understandable. Rachel? Yeah, I agree. I thought that Tyler wasn't coming back, but now it seems like they're going to play up this, uh, like, two. he has two sides, or Mm -hmm. uh, he has to deal with all of the horrible things that he did while he was Valk, and the fact that 
he is not really himself, possibly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, true. Cicero? Lieutenant Ash Tyler, chief of security. <laughs> By day, he sits and he plays with the crew of the Discovery. But when the moon is full, <laughs> he turns into Valk Wolf. <laughs> and he must let the world think that he is dead until he yeah. finds a way. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just I have a hard time believing that uh, that Laurel would willingly destroy her lover. Um, mm-hmm. And and like I said, I just I think that while I don't know necessarily that all of her motives are um, evil, um, I do know that she is manipulating things to her, you know, uh, for her own for her own purposes. And what those purposes are, I think we'll we'll still wind up finding out. But uh, she's still she's still kind of running running things she's a step ahead of of everyone else she's still playing chess while uh, most people are still playing checkers well we we also did get a couple of new bits of information regarding the specific procedure that created this being you know however you want to put it i was under the impression that vox body was surgically altered to appear human but now it sounds like they may have found a way to extract Valk's personality and shove it in a human body. No, I thought and it was the other way around. Was is that what's going? Because I, man, I'm having a hard time keeping track. Yeah, of this. and that that's a problem. Um, you know, so I I thought it was that they took Tyler's DNA and extracted his DNA and put it into Valk and then removed. That's why there was all that scar tissue. It was Valk's body that they made look like Ash Tyler. Okay. Those to Valk's personality into Ash Tyler's body. Either way, I mean, uh, something's something's definitely up here. So on the Sharon, uh, Michael halts her own execution by revealing to the Emperor that she is from a parallel universe. Giorgio, familiar with the Federation after reading the historical database on the Defiant, immediately kills all but one of the assembled audience to witness the execution due to the highly classified nature of the quote-unquote poisonous ideals of the Federation. Michael makes a deal with Giorgio, the schematics of the spore drive, in return for the unredacted data logs of the Defiant so that they can actually try and find a way back home in a similar fashion. So how different do you think the personalities of the characters are compared to their mirror universe counterparts? Do you think the characters are fundamentally the same, but have grown up with a vastly different set of ideals? Or do you think that they are just different characters full stop? Cicero, what do you think? Well, I, I think that they are uh, more the uh, more the former than the, than the latter um, because of the fact that we – we we know that she you know that Emperor Zhao is 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 uh afraid um you know or at least reticent to allow those types of poisonous ideals to fester and ferment uh within the Terran populace uh because she believes that they could potentially take hold. Um 
But also, I think one of the things that we see is that that despite despite everything, everyone's human. You know, at least the humans are human. Um, that that there is a level of compassion, uh, even even as an evil person. Giorgio has compassion for Burnham because she mm-hmm. loves her like a daughter, and you know, and how that you know how that demonstrates itself in the terror in, in the Terran Empire is completely different, or is is different enough in the Federation that they would treat themselves treat treat each other, treat children differently, but ultimately still there's love for your child. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so I think that, you know, fundamentally humans are humans are humans. And, uh, and I think we could say beings are beings are beings, um, despite, right. despite, uh, the, the differences in the universe, the tenors of the universe. Right. They're just wearing rose colored lenses, or in this case, I guess the hate filled fire colored right. lenses. Right. You know, because that's what they grew up with. Zachy, what do you think? You know, I think, man. You know, this this gets to just my issues with the mirror universe in general. Sure. Yeah. You know, I was I was just thinking about. It. I was like, how many hundreds of hours of Star Trek are there? And of those, how many have been devoted to exploring this? To me, at least, a concept that has about fifty minutes worth of interest in it. Like it, to me, it's disproportionately. We've spent way too much time in something that the more, the closer you look at it, the less it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, this is something I think Rachel was saying last time. It's like it, it, the mirror, the mirror universe worked to me as like a one-off thing. Where we're like, look, what would happen if Kirk was evil? Right. Okay, but if we if we're looking at at it as a as a continuum, you say, how the hell do you end up at a place where everyone is kind of in the same place, but they're evil now? Like it, you know. Time doesn't work that way. Do you think? Let me let me ask you something on top of that because this now this might be a little risky because I'm I'm about to indict Deep Space Nine. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think Deep Space Nine may have ruined things? Yes, to agree. Wow. Okay, well, wow. all right. Yeah, before you, before you even say, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> to, to me, to me, Deep Space Nine should never have gone back after that first episode. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because because suddenly it's not even the mirror universe after the first episode. It's like the human resistance, and I mean, you know what I mean. Like you've yeah. you've spun the concept past what uh, was what it Jerome Bixby, I think, who wrote the original episode. That's not what he intended. No. Um. You know. So so to me, I don't know. I, I sound like negative Nelly here, and I don't mean <laughs> it that. Way, but like, I, I mean, it's it's just to me that that's my problem is is. Uh, the, the, the concept is something that works as a one-off, and every single time you extrapolate and add more to it, it just draws attention to how it doesn't make a lot of sense. So do you think necessarily then that this specific exploration in the mirror universe would be more, less, or just as potent, let's say, had Deep Space Nine either never gone there or had only gone there once? I mean, it it would certainly be be less. It would feel less like, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I you know I remember 
watching DS9 during the initial run, whenever it was a mirror episode, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> like that, that was my, you know, and I, I said this last time when, when Enterprise did it, same thing. I was like, oh, man. And so now we're like, we're stuck here. I'm like, can we get back, please? <laughs> you know, right. And we'll talk about a little bit more towards the end of this episode. But like yes, the fact that we've now sort of dug in like, like a tick is, is I think that's one of the reasons where I'm like, oh, God, come on. Let's, we, we don't have that many episodes in a season of Star Trek anymore. We can't <laughs> we can't just move into the mirror universe, you know? Right, sure. Yeah, <laughs> un, un, understandable. Well, okay, pedantic continuity stuff. Well, not really, but kind of. What do you guys make about the knowledge of the Federation being such a closely guarded secret here in the mirror universe, especially considering Giorgio's apparent disdain for the principles by which the Federation operates? Because I kind of loved how she characterized the very existence of the prime universe, or at least the knowledge of its existence as dangerous. I thought that that was kind of a cool way to, uh, to, to illustrate the diametrically opposed philosophies of the Federation and the Terran empire. Rachel. Um, I think that it sort of speaks to the previous question and that the, the people in the mirror universe might not be inherently evil. It's just that they've grown up with, uh, uh, like in a timeline where the like Federation or Terran Empire Earth took a, a much darker turn, and so they're mm-hmm. living in a much more violent kind of timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that end, uh, it makes sense that you wouldn't want the ideas of the Federation to really get out. So mm-hmm. because uh, people could start doing stuff. Yeah, sure, Zachy. Yeah, uh, I'll just echo uh, what, what Rachel said. I, I, I think uh, as the, the continuity side, I like that. I like that they're, uh, you know, I've said this before, anything that that ties in Enterprise much closer into the, the overall continuity of the franchise, I'm in favor of. Uh, so I do like the little like, like, ooh, I, I know what she's talking about. Like, yeah. I, I know it, and and based on the the nobody that watched Enterprise, <laughs> very few people know what she's talking about. Hopefully, now people will go and look up those episodes now. You know, so uh, I think that's cool. I, I think it's fun. You know, well, you know, after uh, the season's over, we're gonna have to have an Enterprise oh, in, uh You know, just to to explore now that now that we can put it in context with where it sits in in the entire franchise, I think that would be a fun topic to explore. Cicero, how about how about you? Did anything strike you? About um, this? No, I mean, like, yeah, it's it. it I think it is just uh, a matter of of perspective. I mean, you know, it's Mm -hmm. one of those things that I, I've realized later in life that, uh, you know, you just think about, uh, uh, you know, jingoism and, and, uh, that, that I found it, you know, the very first time I kind of realized it, um, that I found it strange that people from other countries would be as patriotic about their country as I am about the United States of America. Because I feel like the United mm-hmm. States of America is the greatest country in the world. Like that's you know that's objectively true. Um, but mm-hmm. but you know it it's it's completely determined based on your perspective, right? So uh, you know for someone who's Japanese, you know Viva Nippon, um, and mm-hmm. and they're the greatest country in the world, and that's objectively true. So so you know mm-hmm. your perspective about looking at a foreigner. 
and and their ideals, the things that they that they uh, hold as inalienable rights, is is going to is going to be strange to you because you you know you know this way, and everyone you know knows this way. So anything that's counter to that is is dangerous, especially when uh, you know like the way that you rule is via subjugation and fear. You know, freedom, mm-hmm. freedom, Absolutely. and compassion uh, at that level is is completely dangerous. Absolutely, sure. All right. Well, we are getting to the very end of the plot for this episode, and this is the giant, big, revelatory moment that the entire season has been building to. During discussions with the Emperor, Michael realizes that Lorca has been all this time a fugitive refugee from the mirror universe and has been manipulating the crew of discovery to get back home to exact his revenge on Giorgio. At the same time, Lorca escapes from the agony booth promising to finally gain his revenge on the emperor. So last week I promised that if a certain revelation had come to pass, that Zaki did not want to come to pass, that he would be able to have the open floor to discuss this to his heart's content. And that is exactly what he's going to get in this segment, Zaki's Agony Booth. Zaki Agony Oh man, I, I want something to complain about every week just so that you can do that. That's great. Uh, yeah, man, you know what's funny is you were joking at the start about having spoiled it for me accidentally, and you did not. But somebody did on social media, like within seconds of it. Like somebody was just like, Mirror Lorca! Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. I'm like, all right. And then, and then somebody else is like, man, I didn't see that twist coming. Like they clarified. I was like, well, maybe we see the Mirror Lorca show up. And then somebody, like one second later, clarifies that other one so i was like okay well uh so i didn't watch the episode until until uh, just this morning actually and I, the whole time i was like well let's see how they play it and and if i'm honest i i'm not a fan i'm not a fan of of the reveal even though yes that is something they've been building towards but to me it is still it's it feels like a bait and switch and and something that i've talked about in previous episodes is i find Lorca complicated and interesting and I, I i find the idea of a star trek captain who's still presumably trying to live up to what the federation is while trying while sort of navigating these gray areas that's interesting that's something we've never seen before and especially seeing him through the perspective of a different character like that's all very interesting and so when i said let's see how they do it i was willing to uh, accept maybe uh that he He's he is the way he is, but he he disagrees with the empire or something. But no, instead the whole thing is just an act. He's just been pretending to be not even really pretending really well to be good when you think about it. Because <laughs> right. he's been pretty bad all along. <laughs> um, but the fact that he's he turns into oil can Harry at the end uh, to me, like I can see. Like okay, well, that's let's see where things go. Obviously, but to me, it makes me lose all interest in all of the stuff they've been doing with him up to this point. Because to me, it's just a cheat. 
you know, and and I think that goes to number one, what I was saying earlier, just my general antipathy towards the mirror universe as a concept. Um, and, and the fact that we're intertwining this show into the mirror universe in this way, that's just, I mean, I have to be honest to say that's just not interesting to me, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's disappointing because I, I feel like the better twist would have been, oh, you think he's from the mirror universe, but he's not. He's just an ass. Like that's more interesting <laughs> to me. Like, you know, I mean, I mean, it's funny because now, now everyone online is like, oh, I saw it coming. Oh, when he did this with Admiral Cornwell. And, oh, when he did this. It's like, you didn't see it. I mean, that's, that's all stuff you can point to now in hindsight. But to me, that's all the stuff that's like, why is he, like, what's this deal? Like, why is he, why is, wh- how did his experience on the brand screw him up? Like, that, that's a thread that's so much more interesting than, oh, yeah, actually, he's the evil guy from the evil place with all the evil people. And, uh, yeah, so evil. Like, eh, come on. Mm-hmm. You know? That's me. I'm I'm done. I'm done agonizing. That's that's the end of the agony booth this week. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense what I just said. No, no. I, I mean, it, it, it does, but it does bring up a question that I did want to ask you uh, because obviously, you know, this is something that you did not want to happen, and I totally understand and empathize with that perspective. But does this at all change your previous expression about mirror versions of characters? lacking sufficient depth to be independently interesting. And on top of that, does this revelation make you more or less interested in learning about Prime Lorca? I mean, I guess we can intuit that Prime Lorca is probably dead, right? I think, haven't they even said as much in, in, or am I, I, did I dream that? I I think (laughs) you dreamed that. I mean, as far as we know. (laughs) Okay. Or no, and you know what? I, like somebody in one of the interviews, like uh, on TrekMovie.com, I think some somebody mentioned something to that effect. Or maybe again, I'm I'm putting stuff together. Doesn't you know? Look, I'm. I, this is not one of those things where I'm like, well, f this show, and I flip over the table and storm <laughs> out. You know, it, it's not that. I mean, I mean, let's see what happens next. But I do feel like what we see, you know, in the little, like, next time on Discovery thing, like, it, all of that stuff is just, it feels like a lot of mustache twirling, you know, uh, it's like, it's like the, what kind of what, what we would have expected of, of Mirror Kirk, you know, what we saw in, in Mirror Mirror. And that's mm-hmm. just, to me, uh, I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. And, and you can sort of assume that from here on in, obviously, this version of Lorca, I don't, my guess would be he doesn't make it back to the prime universe. Um, so, so either, either Jason Isaacs is not long for the show or we're going to be reintroduced to, to regular Lorca, uh, you know, and I don't know, n- neither of those ideas is hugely appealing to me because I like having Jason Isaacs on the show, but, but now it's like, Oh, it's, this is the real Lorca. He's been, you know, uh, floating in space for uh, six months or whatever. You know, Like what's, <laughs> what's, how do you rationalize it? You know, it's, it's all bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely depends. I mean, I I don't necessarily think that if Prime Lork is introduced, he has to be fundamentally different from the guy that we've seen. But I mean, if past his prologue, then that's probably going to be the case. But right. let's let's open this up a little bit. So, how does everybody feel about this revelation? And has it changed the central conflict of the storyline, or do you have questions about it for the future, Rachel? Um, I feel similarly grumpy at <laughs> Zaki. Um, just I, I feel like 
it isn't the most maybe interesting uh, way to sort of resolve the like why is Mir or why is Captain Lorca like that? Um, just oh yeah, he's evil. Um, <laughs> and you know, furthermore, I I feel like a, it kind of it, it's it's doing a thing that a lot of uh, modern TV shows do, where they sort of set up some mystery and they're encouraging you to solve it to you know look for all the clues in every episode to see what's going to happen in the next episode and solve all of these mysteries and that there's going to be sort of one right answer mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes I prefer it when maybe there isn't like one right answer or you're left wondering about things or the story unfolds in a, in a way that is really cool to watch um, I I don't know if that makes any sense does that make sense to you Chris? I think so okay yeah. Yeah, so just kind of the setting up of the plot as a puzzle that you have to put together. Um, It it can be fun, but it's like every show is like that, Mm -hmm. I feel. And uh, it can can be kind of exhausting. But, you know, I also... It, it it was fun. It was fun to watch. I I like the mustache twirling, Mm -hmm. too. So I also was enjoying myself on the other hand. So, you know, I can set aside some of my disappointment and my worry that we're not going to see Jason Isaacs again, Mm -hmm. which I was very sad about. um, If, you know, if indeed he isn't able to, or he he doesn't make it to the next season. Yeah, Um, right. But I can set that aside and and enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. Well, it just makes me more interested in the Jurassic Measures novel because that's going to apparently feature a character that we've never met yet. So, you know, it takes place 10 years before the show started. Cicero, my friend, how did this revelation strike you? So I remember back uh, when we first had the seed of the thought of this possibly being Mira Lorca. And, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we kind of, we, we, we let that uh, dance on our tongues for a little while. And then we said, uh, you know what? That's and I think it may have been Zaki saying that's too easy of an out, and we all kind of agree that um, the the thing that makes Lorca so great is the complexity of this character, as as Zaki has said, and, and they kind of have thrown that away. Um, I'm here for the ride. Uh, let's hope that uh, Jason Isaacs is is you know is longer for this show than just the first season. Uh, because this mm-hmm. show without without Gabriel Lorca will will definitely be missing uh, a big hole in it. Um, I, I it makes me think about uh, as a big Spider Man fan. Um, there was back in the late eighties, uh, early nineties, the Clone Saga. Oh um, boy, yeah. you're gonna invoke the Clone <laughs> Saga? Yeah, and <laughs> and so there were there were there were several clones of Peter Parker running around and. Uh, there was one that decided, you know, that turned out, oh, he was the actual Peter Parker. And we, we sat with that guy for like seven, eight, nine months, uh, almost the better part of a year. And it turns out he was a clone of, you know, uh, after all. And, and the real, the real, uh, uh, Peter Parker was like some, you know, indigent bum somewhere laying destitute eating out of garbage cans and uh he got to re you know retake his life but like it was like well if i just started reading the comic books 10 months ago 
the guy that you say is a clone was my Peter Parker. Now he's gone. And that's yeah. and if we wind up getting prime Lorca back, th- I, I think that's how we'll all feel. That's how I'll feel. Um, you know, mm-hmm. despite his flaws, despite his, uh, you know, his evil machinations and despite his motivations, this is still my Lorca. Um, and so I don't necessarily want him to go anywhere. Um, I, I don't think he belongs in the mirror universe anymore. Um, I think he is prime Lorca. Hmm. Interesting perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, as for, uh, as for me, I, I see both sides of it. I mean, I don't take back any of what I said way back when that it would be an easy way out from a developmental perspective because this guy has been fascinating. This guy has been really interesting to watch unfold over the course of this season. Uh, Jason Isaacs has done a spectacular job playing him. Uh, he has been an enigma for so long on this show. This revelation doesn't remove or, or, or uh, change the fact that I have significantly enjoyed the, this character and this performance for all of the episodes of this show so far. So I can't ignore that. I am a little disappointed that, you know, it's not going to be sort of a more twisted take on the traditional starship captain that the, the show had kind of started to go with in the beginning, or at least that's what we thought. Uh, so on the one hand, yeah, this revelation isn't exactly super exciting to me, but on the other hand too, I, I mean, I can't say I'm not interested to see how things are going to shake out. It's, uh, there, there is quite a consequential conflict that's coming up and it'll be kind of interesting to see how prime Burnham and mirror Lorca end up butting heads over this. And yeah, the writing was probably on the wall when Lorca snatched Burnham from prison way back in episode three. I mean, they had never had an association before, but they did in the mirror universe. Apparently as soon as we knew that that was probably, that should have probably been, you know, a wide open clue that this was going to happen, but it wasn't because the show, you know, it could have gone either way, but as much as I'm interested in seeing what happens next, I can't say that this isn't at least a little disappointing. But for what it's worth, in the moment when this revelation did come up in the actual episode, I thought they played it in a way that was fun that I probably would have been surprised by had I not been so dialed into everything happening with this show right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's to the show's credit. I kind of wish it had gone a different way, but I'm open to seeing what's next, I guess, is is how I'm putting it. So I, I guess I, I'm sitting on the fence, you know, to, <laughs> to be continued as far as, you know, where this is exactly going to be taken by the time season one is finished. All right. Well, so a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to, to think about as, as we prepare to watch next week's episode and as we prepare to reconvene. But we actually do have some listener questions and comments. So why don't we do something we haven't done in a while and open up the old communicator. So the first one comes from Rob O'Connor and he asks, do you think Commander Landry may also somehow have originated from the mirror universe. Uh, it's an awesome question. And uh, I definitely think that there's a pretty distinct possibility because she seems like she had 
kind of a similar devotion, I guess, to a bit of a harder edged uh, disposition, let's say. So I think that's definitely possible. What do you guys think, Rachel? Um, well, we're going to see her next week, right? Conceivably, yeah. So is that Prime Landry or? That is a good question. Because it would have to be Prime Landry if Mira Landry was in the Prime Universe. Yeah. So that brings it. So is the Baran crew maybe around in some capacity? And does that leave things open for Prime Lorca? Ooh, boy. I don't know. I don't know. Cicero, what do you think, man? Well, uh, there is, I guess there is a really good chance that that was Mira Landry, um, because they were super close. Right. Um, you know, Landry and Lorca. Um, so, you know, who, who else? And not only were they super close, um, you know, emotionally, but they were super close physically. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So, I mean, that definitely makes sense. Um, I thought, I thought Burnham said that the Baran was gone when they moved, when they, you know, that was, it was also destroyed in the mirror universe, uh, when, uh, when they first got there and he asked about the Baran, uh, when Lorca asked about the Baran. She did say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she, so, she, she said that it was, I think that it was, uh, lost because when Lorca asked, you know, is, is my crew alive? And she said, no. She didn't give a lot of detail beyond that, though. That is true. So I'm, is true. I'm wondering, A, is that true? And B, are the records that she was able to look at complete? Because we right. also don't necessarily know if Mira Burnham is dead. Uh, right. She's presumed dead. Right. So is the crew of the Baran also presumed dead? Right. Uh, that, is, that is true. There's enough, there's enough of a doubt. There's a shadow of a doubt in right. there. Right. But you know, if, if the episode opens up and it, it becomes clear that it's uh, Mirror Landry, then you know, I guess I'll just shut up. But still, very good question, Rob, and uh, it's definitely something that the gears are going to be turning in our heads for as we prepare to watch next week. Mm-hmm. Next question from Peter Smith: If they've swapped places with alternate Discovery. What are they going to find when they inevitably end up back in the Prime Universe? I understand that the Klingon War is going to be wrapped up by the end of this season, but I can't see how with only three episodes to go. Is this going to end on a cliffhanger? Thank you for the question, Peter. I don't think it's going to end on a cliffhanger only because, you know, when they went into producing the first season of Discovery, they didn't know if they were going to be able to get a second season. So, I mean, cliffhanger. I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a huge cliffhanger. It might end with a sense of possibility. I don't necessarily think that it's going to end with a nice little bow on top, but I'd have a hard time believing that it's, uh, that it's going to end on a fully fledged cliffhanger, but your question is still absolutely a valid one. You know, what's, what the hell is going on with the ISS discovery? Uh, has it been destroyed? Did it ever have a spore drive as we talked about before? Because we know that they probably didn't, but we don't know for sure either. So still a lot of questions in that regard. But Cicero, what do you think about this? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know particularly that that the Discovery is going to wind up in the Prime Universe, or at least not in the Prime Universe in their own time. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's one thing. And while... 
it may, you know, while I think you're right that, that, you know, because the writers weren't sure if they had composed the entire season um, prior to shooting the season, then, and not knowing if they were going to get a second, you can't really do a cliffhanger at the end. I mean, you can, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, but I think it's going to be left open-ended in, in some way, shape or form. Um, so they, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, thanks a lot, Peter, for, uh, for, <laughs> for stumping me. Um, they, they, who knows, who knows what's going on with, with the other discovery. I don't even know what the other discovery is because yeah. fundamentally the discovery, you know, the, the USS discovery is the spore is the spore drive ship. Mm-hmm. And if the guy who was running the spore drive in Mira Stamets is on the emperor's ship, then what the hell is going on with the ISS discovery? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just here for the ride. Uh, you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Rachel, any perspective? Uh, Captain Killy is definitely killing people <laughs> and restarting the Klingon War. So, or you know, doing something so that there'll be an interesting plot next season. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Hmm. Who, who knows? Maybe Captain Killy will have won the war by the time they get displaced again and they get back. The Discovery gets back and it's like, oh, hey, thanks, Discovery, for your efforts in killing all the Klingons. Like, what? What? What happened? Right. <laughs> uh, Captain Killy happened. That's what. Uh, <laughs> next question from uh, Fatima Riaz Khan. I would like to hear some hypotheses on how alternate you-know-who ended up in the Federation reality and what his endgame is. I enjoy his character and hope he is there for the long haul. Well, I, I mean, as far as how he got over, yeah, I mean, that's the pivotal question, right. Fatima, that I think that we've been discussing. You know, it's going to depend on, first of all, how Mirror Lorca got into the Prime Universe. Did he potentially trade places with his Prime Universe counterpart or were they transposed? Uh, it all kind of hinges on that question. I, as far as like a hypothesis is concerned, it's hard to tell, but the pivotal moment seems to be the battle at the binary stars. Right. Something happened there. The Baran was obviously a ship that was dispatched to the battle at the binary stars, but we must not have the whole story over what happened during that battle because, uh, you know, if if that was the event that caused Lorca to be able to come into uh, the prime reality, then you know, something was at play there. So that my guess is that we don't fully understand yet the full implications of everything that took place at the battle of the binary stars. And the exact question that you ask is probably going to be the pivotal question that the mirror universe arc that we're in now ends on. Uh, But that's just my guess. Do you guys have any perspective on that? Uh, My hypothesis is that it was an accident um, because he seemed to like he seemed to be uh when he was in the prime universe captain lorca was trying to find a way back so it seems like he didn't know how to get back mm-hmm. except to use the spore drive um so that leads me to think that he did was didn't necessarily come to the prime universe on purpose mm-hmm. so maybe there was some sort of accident on the brand Mm-hmm. Um, while it exploded, like he got sucked into a quantum hole that 
was created by the warp drive Mm -hmm. when it exploded or something like that happened. Well, and we do know that there was some sort of analog to the battle at the binary stars in the mirror universe. They made reference to it. So, you know, the butcher at the binary stars as Michael Burnham was, uh, was called. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see Cicero. Do you have any thoughts on this? Of course I do. Fatima, (laughs) Fatima, listen to me. All right. You, you didn't come here for logical, uh, reasoning. You came here for hypotheses, right? So here it is. Here it is. Mira Lorca was working with Mira Stamets with the spore drive. Well, not the spore drive, but with the spores. And they figured out that the mycelium network actually existed. And, and with Mira Stamets, he was able to find his way because he knew he knew his time was almost up. So he was able to escape death by getting away. Oh, you know what he wanted to do? This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. <laughs> this is what it's all about. Uh, Mira Burnham is dead. In okay. his grief, he goes to Mira Stamets and he says, we've got to figure out a way for me to go to the other universe, to another universe, and find Michael Burnham so that we can do the thing that we wanted to do. In his grief, uh, you know, overcome by his love of Michael Burnham, he goes to the prime universe searching for her. And that was why he did it. It's it's all about love, y'all. I believe in love, y'all. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is what you wanted. That is what you get. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. I, I, I couldn't have put it any better myself. Wonderful. All right, moving along to the next question. I don't know how we're going to top that, but uh, from Kuram Rafiq, do you think that Mirror Lorca has actively done something to either Prime Lorca or Mirror Burnham? In the case of the latter, would it make more sense if she had actually been killed? Um, well, I mean, Mirror Lorca and Mirror Burnham they certainly had some sort of more complicated relationship considering that Burnham seemingly had split loyalties, right? I mean, she, she was Lorca's lover, but she was also the emperor's daughter. And I'm sure that that comes with its own set of pretty significant character hurdles. As for whether or not Mira Lorca has done something, I'm not sure if he necessarily had the chance to, uh, just because, you know, as, as far as the mirror universe is concerned, Burnham is missing. She's not confirmed dead. Uh, and Lorca did actively seek Burnham out, which seems to think, at least that indicates to me that there's something unresolved there between them that he might be trying to resolve with at least a vision of Burnham. So, yeah, I mean, I. I don't know if it would necessarily make more sense if Mirror Burnham had been killed. If anything, I kind of think that she might end up showing up in one of these next couple of episodes uh, to the shock and awe of everybody. And maybe she'll bring prime Lorca in tow or maybe prime Lorca has been underground with the resistance the whole time. I mean, who's to say for sure, but there's something's going to happen. And now that the, the preliminaries are out of the way, since everything that we've guessed and conspired about has actually come to pass, it is kind of exciting to be in relatively uncharted waters. So that's my perspective on it. But you guys have anything to add? Yeah, I do. Um, 
not only is Mira Lorca um, pining over his his lost love that was killed, definitively dead. Uh, you've heard it here first. Um, <laughs> he, she was also pregnant with their love child. Whoa, whoa! And, and his his hope was to find find Burnham, find another Burnham, and get that Burnham to fall in love with him, so that they could have that child. So he could have that child once again. Um, I don't think I think I think both Prime Lorca and Mira Burnham are both dead. Okay. I think Prime Lorca's alive. Um, and I think he's like, but I think he's in the prime universe. I think he's like locked in a supply closet somewhere, uh, like maybe with some food and some water, but he's all tied up and he's like, get me out of here. Well, Hey, who knows? We might be saying hashtag Rachel was right next week. You know, it's low tech, but it works. All right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the next question from Saif Siddiqui. This might be a stretch on my part, but did you guys see similarities between the Myceliverse and the novel slash film Solaris? That's a hell of a stretch, yeah. but it's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I have seen both the uh, Stanislaw Lem version of Solaris and, of course, the Steven Soderbergh version that stars George Clooney. Uh Definitely the um, the appearance of Culber in the mycelial network, I can definitely see how you drew some comparisons to Solaris. I mean, obviously in Solaris, the alien entity took the form of familiar faces, uh, but was not those actual people. I got the impression that, that Culber was Culber. Whether that's because he was drawn from Stamets' mind or not, I can't say for sure, as we talked about before, but that's a cool connection. And the entire uh, thread of the, the mycelial network definitely does bring up some some visions of Solaris, particularly the, the Clooney-Soderbergh version. So very cool callback. I like that. I like that a lot. You guys have any thoughts? I have not seen that film. No? It's worth watching. Um, the the Stanislaw Lem Russian version is really okay. long, and uh, it's comparatively low tech, and you might even call it boring. But it's definitely like a pure sci fi movie. But Soderbergh's adaptation is uh, is very it, it interesting. Won, it it won I, an award uh, in the Washington D.C. area Film Critics Association, the one with uh, with George Clooney in it. In one biggest mm-hmm. disappointment of 2002. Well, I mean, it's. It, I think it was marketed very mm. poorly because they they tried to kind of make it like this thriller, at least in the advertising campaign. But it's it's not a thriller at all. I mean, it's a very slow burning drama mm. that uh, I think Clooney has even said is one of the most difficult films he's right. ever acted in. Uh, and you know, that's saying something considering an actor of Clooney's caliber, the star of Batman and Robin bows to, to no weak enemy. That is the star of latter seasons of facts of life or early seasons of ER. Yes. 
Yes. I mean, let's let's not forget where <laughs> Mr. Clooney comes from. Well, the final question comes from Star Wars fan extraordinaire and my personal friend, Paul Herman. Do all the people living in the mirror universe have mirrors on their ceilings? <laughs> yes, Paul. Yes, they do. You've cracked it. You're trying to figure out. out and I think that's it. Yeah. Why do you think it's called the mirror universe? Obviously, it's because they all have mirrors on their ceilings. Nicely done. Without watching a mirror universe episode, you put it all together. And I'm very proud of you. That's why, the, that's so, why there's all that sexy time in the TOS version. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly who when when the doors aren't a swooshing but <laughs> <laughs> hey <-o. laughs> i like soundboards too much all right well we have come to the end of a long journey that was a hell of an episode of star trek discovery that we got to watch but uh lots of things being set up as we head into the, the, the remaining couple of episodes of the show. Uh, but that is going to do it for episode 14 of discovery debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like, and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it. If you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook, it only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it is posted. Recently got a very nice five-star review from Rob O'Connor. Thank you so much, Rob, for posting that. Really glad that you're enjoying the show, especially enough to, uh, to write a review for it. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook-like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and keep an eye on our various channels to find out when you can listen to our next episode as we barrel forward heading into the conclusion of Discovery's first season. And of course, in the weeks to come, we will be able to tell you a little bit more specifically of what we will get up to when Discovery actually goes off the air because we don't plan to have Discovery debrief go away just because Star Trek Discovery isn't around anymore. Uh, I think we've carved something out that is fun, that's special, that a lot of people seem to enjoy. So we're going to uh, keep bringing it to you. Maybe not on as regular a basis as we have been, but we certainly don't want to, uh, to put the moorings down in dry dock just yet. As always, though, until next time, long live the Empire. Long live the Empire. Long live the Empire. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Go boldly, my friends. <laughs>